All right, let's take a look at Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for this wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram said, Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So, my friends, we are getting ready for what is traditionally known in in the church as the season of Lent. And pretty soon, we're going to kick that season off with this Ash Wednesday service. And this passage today, as we've come along to it, uh, going through Genesis and looking at what it what it looks like for you and I to walk the ancient path in 2022, uh, coming to a very uncomfortable reality that um, that even good people, people that God was using and wanted to use, still do foolish and destructive things. And that's one of the the, the important things for us to reflect on as we prepare for Easter. Uh, that that we. Are, have a need to repent. We're not perfect. We're broken. And in our Ash Wednesday service, we spread ashes on our foreheads and make the sign of the cross. And in in years uh, in the tradition, uh, we either say, you are dust and to dust you shall return. Or we say, repent and believe the gospel. And this year, we're really focusing on that second phrase, repent and believe the gospel. Because as mortals, like we, we have to remind ourselves that we have just this little time on earth and that none of us are perfect. And that can be such a freeing thing. If you remember, uh, the first step down the ancient path is realizing that God is God and we are not. And, and we don't have to carry the weight of ordering creation. But also our responsibility is when we get off track, we don't beat ourselves up. We don't, we don't go into this, oh, I'm, I'm horrible. We just say, it's a freeing thing. I'm literally made of dust, and someday, dust, I'm going to return to that, and I'm going to turn my heart back towards God. So in this season, where we're beginning to reflect, not just on our mortality, but we reflect on our need to be redeemed, and the amazing, amazing dynamic of, of this creator that loves us, that became part of the creation, because you and I are loved and we get to be redeemed. And I love reflecting on, on, on our mortality in the Lenten season because it means actually we're all on the same level playing field. And we see from the text today, Abram and Sarai, who would, who would become Abraham and Sarah, spiritual giants, they still miss the mark. They still uh, were capable of of foolishness and destructive behavior. Uh, so for for us, it doesn't matter how much money you have, where you were born. Like when it comes to God, we're all on 
the level playing field. We are all in need of redemption, and God loves us all equally. So God is God, and we are not. And uh, as a refresher, just we jumped into Genesis chapter 16, but we've seen in Abram and Sarai's story that God came to Abram and said, I want to do something new in this world, and I want to do it through your biological family. There was a promise uh, with literally God showing up, and then time went by. So Abram and Sarai had this promise. By now, they are octogenarians. I learned that word from a a theologian, N.T. Wright, and he's English. And I thought, ooh, what a fancy English word. They're in their 80s, and they've been promised a baby. I can imagine as they're traveling, leaving the land of their, their fathers and everything that's familiar, going, God's promised us a land, and God's promised us a biological family, even though we're in our 80s. I don't know what strollers looked like in ancient Mesopotamia, but I can only imagine as they see other people, come across other people with child, the ache that had to be there going, God's promised this is going to happen, but when is it going to happen? This, this in-betweenness. For now, at this point, Bible scholars tell us it's, it's decades, people who, who do the math it's, it's been a decade at least since this promise was given and still there is no child. And we see that in the verse we read that Sarai is, is tired of waiting. And in verse two, notice the language, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This is depressing language, also foreshadowing. I don't think it's an accident that it was an Egyptian slave uh, foreshadowing the, the, the children of Israel being in, uh, being in slavery, but it's in direct contrast to the language God used in chapter 12. I will give you a family and I will bless you and, and, and I will multiply your family. And now Sarah is saying, the Lord has kept me from having children. Huge, huge contrast. And then this is where her sin happens. She decides to take a shortcut works it out. Okay, I know this is what, what God has promised, but I'm tired of waiting. I'm, I'm hurting now. And, and in her culture, she actually had a lower status because it was a sign of, of this kind of vitality and, and social status when, as a woman, you have lots and lots of babies. So she's, she's tired of being put to the side or making... She felt like she was less than because she didn't have kids and she wanted to take a shortcut. And as we read the scriptures, this almost always goes poorly. Uh, I say almost always because there there may be somebody who says, oh, no, there's one time where it didn't. I can't think of any time where people take shortcuts to to get where God wants them to go, but they, they try to get there faster. It almost always goes poorly, and it always creates victims. It hurts those people taking the shortcut and... It hurts others around them. But, okay, so we've got Sarai saying, all right, I've got this plan. Uh, uh, I have this Egyptian slave girl, Abram. Go ahead, and maybe God will, will give me a family through her. But thankfully, you guys, one of the heroes of the faith, Abram, is there. He's going to say, no, 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 no. You're my wife. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that and, and, and object on strong, moral He's Abram's one of the heroes. So he's going to get things in order, right? 
Well, what does the next verse say? Abram agreed to what Sarai said. There's no protest. There's no outrage. There's just this kind of dude-like behavior. Huh? Okay. That's the way I read it. So the sin of Sarai was taking a shortcut and not trusting God. And Abram, his sin was the same as Adam's sin, as passivity. Adam in the garden. Hey, hey, Adam, do you want this fruit? I could eat. <laughs> Flash forward to Abram. Abraham, here, take my, take my uh, Egyptian Hagar. Okay, I could sleep with her. Like just so passive. Now, the New Testament writer talks about the, the people of God as, as these jars of clay. And inside of these fragile jars, there's this treasure of the gospel and the good news of God's redemption of this uh, creation. But in this passage, we can't gloss over it. The, the people of God in this passage don't look like jars of clay. I have a friend in, in Tulsa who talks about it. Uh, the, the people of God in this passage looking more like a slurpy cup that's been tossed on the side of the road and it's been there for weeks. This is uh, an awkward scripture to deal with. It's not just broken, but it's gross. How could anything beautiful come out of this situation? And as we look at the text again, we see Abram saying things and Sarai saying things. We, see, we can see their sins easily, but what about Hagar? In this passage, she's not consulted at all. So when, when we come to the part where it says she despised her mistress and was despising Sarai, well, golly gee, I wonder why. <laughs> like she has no power in this and she's just used like an object in someone else's schemes. And there's no one there to fight for her and no one there to stand up and say, no, no, this is not the right way. So finally, you know, because this is Abram and Sarai. Finally, Sarai is going to take responsibility, right? And come to her senses and say, oh, I've blown it. Let's make things right. But in verse five, Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for this wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Like totally flip-flopping, Abram. I don't know, munching on some falafel or something. Like, huh, wait, no, wait a minute. He's got to just take control of the situation. Now, he is a godly man and say, wait, 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 wait a minute. We're going to set things right. No, in verse six, he says, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you think is best. Sarai again, her sin is taking a shortcut to what she thinks the way is to fulfill God's promises. And Abram is just passive in here, not even stepping up when he had a chance. No, not even standing up for himself. No, this was your idea, like a conversation. So uh, as I look at this passage, I, uh, a couple, uh, about a year ago, a friend of mine gave me this Bible software and it has thousands of Bible commentaries. I mean, you can type in any passage. It's like a kid in a candy store. I absolutely love it. So many great treasures, uh, so many great resources for, um, for looking at verses in their original languages. And in there, there's volumes and volumes about what the early church uh, said about scriptures and how they would read things. And most of the time, I'm sitting there just with my mind going, oh my goodness, that's so helpful. 
But this time, when I was reading what these early church fathers were saying about Genesis chapter 16, I just sat there in front of my screen with my jaw hanging open because I think they got this wrong. And I say this in, with the humility of knowing I can't tie their shoes and they're brilliant people and God did amazing things, but they went through amazing uh, theological, philosophical, jumping through all these hoops to read the situation completely different and, and explain it away. It kind of gives me the feeling of, nothing to see here, folks, just keep moving on, moving on. We can't gloss over this because uh, we, we can't put people on a pedestal to, to the point where we feel like they're made of something different than us, like different spiritual DNA, and everything they did was perfect. As we, one of the principles of biblical interpretation as we look at these scriptures is that God is the hero. This is the description of what happened, but it's not a prescription. Like the, the honest fact is sometimes the people of God get it horribly, horribly wrong. And our duty is, is to come to terms with that and agree and repent and change our behavior, change our thoughts and, and change our ways and, and start walking the ancient path again. Sometimes the people of God do foolish and destructive things. I've, it's a part of my story. I won't talk about all the things that happened in the churches that I went to when I was a kid and a teenager and some of the churches I've worked at. But we see this even in the headlines, in the news. There are, there are people who've done monstrous acts, who, who were actually people of God and had positions. Maybe they were pastors or Christian leaders. As I, I just took a look at my bookshelf and I was like, oh my goodness, I have books from people who have committed monstrous acts. You know, adultery and uh, getting, getting into trouble with money things, those are real common ones. But as, as we are moving, uh, moving forward and in, into the future, we're seeing also people coming forward talk, talking about patterns of authoritarian style abuse that they've experienced from Christian leaders. Um, just crazy anger issues that are repeated problems, um, using intimidation to manipulate people um, and, and, and just get their own way. Whether it was the, the pastor to the stars in New York City a couple years ago, or uh, if you've heard the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hills, I needed to listen to that because I've experienced some of that in the churches that I've gone to. Um, but um, it, it's, it's a reality that we have to deal with today. And um, there's a, a pastor who passed away a couple years ago who died without a scandal, died living a faithful life, lived a quiet life. His name's Eugene Peterson. And um, I, I came across this quote a while back. Uh, he says, diagnosing the sins of the spirit by pastors is often difficult. Is this outburst of zeal, energetic obedience, or is it human presumption? Is this exuberant confidence, Holy Spirit gumption inspired by the Holy Spirit, or a boastful arrogance fed by an anxious ego? Is this assertive leadership, courageous faith, or self-importance? Is this suddenly prominent preacher with a large admiring following, a spiritual descendant of Peter with 5,000 repentant converts, or of Aaron with tens of thousands with a religious song and dance around a golden calf? Eugene Peterson is saying, it's not always easy to tell. 
And he goes on to say, the religious leader is the most untrustworthy of leaders. In no other situation to have so many opportunities for pride, for covetousness, for lust, or so many excellent disguises at hand to keep, to keep such ignobility from being found out and called to account. Now, uh, as I'm reading this, uh, if I put any anxiety in your in your heart, like just so you know, uh, this isn't a thing where I'm gonna confess something. <laughs> like I'm good. I've got good people in my life. I'm definitely not perfect, uh, and I've got accountability structures in my life. But reading about Abram and Sarai and how they missed it up, I think it's an important conversation for us to have. Um, and flashing forward to the current age and stage that we're in. There's been so many times where we've idolized Christian leaders and pastors and we weren't careful and, and our faith was even challenged. Uh, our, our faith was broken because of reading about things that they had done, predatory things, hurtful things. We need to be careful to, to approach these folks with a balance. I'm, I'm certainly not saying dishonor pastors. I think there's uh, and Christian leaders, there's something to spiritual authority, but to look at these people as people as well, because over-glorifying our leaders, putting them on a pedestal, it's dangerous and, and sinful. We can make them an idol in our life. So um, for us, this passage is challenging to have the right perspective about our leaders. Beware of the leader who's the people around him or her are drinking the Kool-Aid and beware of the leader who's drinking their own Kool-Aid. Um, yeah, pastors and Christian leaders are not somehow better people than you and me. You know, I was thinking about solid ground, online congregation, uh, in-person congregation. There are so many godly people here that I dream about. I want to be like them when I grow up is, is what I say. Like I want a prayer life like them. I want to serve as faithfully and cleanly as the people here in this community. Uh, just because you're in a position of leadership, it doesn't mean you're better. It means you serve more. It means that, that you have a big response, an awesome responsibility and to realize as we grow as leaders, as we grow on our leadership journey down the ancient path, we have an awesome responsibility, but also an awesome capacity for dysfunction and destruction. And that dynamic, it puts the fear of God in me. I, I've seen people come through solid ground and come to solid ground, especially in this pandemic with wounds and limps from other churches. Maybe you found this, uh, this, this gathering here because during COVID, you finally had the courage and you got some space to leave an abusive or, or toxic or dysfunctional uh, faith community. And maybe you're sitting here just checking things out because it feels safer because you're like, oh, if I'm online, it's easier for me to, to, to maintain my boundaries and, and be safe. And you, maybe you've just been checking that out or... Uh, yeah, so many of you found us because of these, uh, these dynamics. Maybe you were in a situation in your past uh, in, a, in a church where you tried to speak up and say, hey, things aren't going right, right? This, this doesn't, maybe you couldn't point to like one specific thing that's against the teachings of Jesus or even the Ten Commandments, but something just didn't smell right. And your questions were met with you being pushed away, you being suppressed or 
put it at arm's length and maybe that compounded the problem for you. Um, if that happened to you, I just wanna say that's not right. Uh, it's okay to, to name it and say, what happened to me? Like that was spiritual abuse. And, and it, I, I wanna affirm, like that's not God's heart for you and that's not how the church is supposed to work. And not all churches are bad. But if you've experienced that slurpy cup on the side of the road church, as much as possible as I can stand in the place of those leaders that should have apologized to you, that should have stood up for you, that should have um, made things right, I am sorry. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're here and I want to journey with you. And I want to take you back to the text in the last nine verses of, of Genesis chapter 16 and look at what happens after Hagar, she runs away. And I'm just going to sum it up. She runs away from Sarai in this crazy situation. And an angel appears to her. And one of the things the angel appears to her after asking, you know, where are you going? What's going on? And it wasn't because the angel didn't know. But one of the things the angel tells her is, the Lord has heard your misery. And I think that is true of us. No matter what you've been through or hurts you've experienced, whether it was spiritual leadership or, or people who had authority over you, a, a family member, uh, a boss, and they, they didn't protect you and they actually hurt you, the Lord has heard your misery. You know, this, this baby that Hagar gave birth to is named Ishmael. I used my Bible software to look up what it means. Ishmael means God hears. God hears you. God sees what happens and God cares. And as we, as we do the work of, of healing, some of us need to grieve the loss of this community. Maybe you gave, uh, whether it was um, physical resources, like your, your money, but your time, your energy, your affection to a community, and you, you, you felt like you were used, you were abused, and you had to run away. God saw it, God, and God hears your heart right now. I love Hagar's response, saying uh, to God, or to God's angel, but speaking about God, you are the God who sees me. God saw it. God saw it. And one of our jobs is to do the work of, of, of setting up healthy boundaries and forgiving so we're not holding on to bitterness. Doesn't mean you go right back to it, but also trusting that God saw it. And someday there will be a reckoning for every act, for every decision, for every, every action taken by people in, in leadership. Like, they will be held accountable and to soak in God's grace and ask for God's healing. And also notice that the angel said to go back. Now, I want to clarify here. This is not a prescription. This is a description of what happened. happened. God's heart is always for restoration. And because of people's sinfulness, because of, uh, the lack of boundaries, it is not always possible to go back to uh, your spiritual community. And it's not always wise. Um, but God's heart is always for the restoration of relationships. God's heart is always for the restoration of your heart and your soul. And I think for us, 
uh, today, the, the challenges with all of our hurts is, is not to go back to that one specific community, but not to give up on the people of God. Yes, there are, it's filled with imperfect people. Yes, it's a risk of, of giving your heart away again and, and making yourself vulnerable, but don't give up on God's church. Don't give up on God. God is calling us back. God is calling us. We, we were designed to function in, in community. We were designed to journey down the ancient path together. For those of us in leadership, I think it's important that we publicly confess the sins and apologize uh, for even, you know, it's like I did a couple minutes ago. Like even if I wasn't there at your church, I'm sorry that happened to you. That was not right. We're doing everything we can to, uh, to, to walk down the path together and to do it the right way and not get into the, the ends justify the means kind of things. Like, no, we're walking the ancient path that's slow, that, 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 that values the small, that values the quiet over the big, uh, the, the substance over just mere busyness. So uh, if that's you, uh, I want to pray for you. Uh, if, if there's, if maybe in our talk today, something came up and you're like, oh, there's still, there's still something there that's just it's been stirred up. I, I, I for sure don't want you to give up on the church. Don't give up on God because God hasn't given up on you. And right now maybe is the moment where you can release that to God and take the next step of healing, the next step towards, uh, towards walking in freedom because you don't have to carry that around. You weren't designed for that. God wants you to give that weight to him and, and, and start that healing process. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for redemption. We thank you that you didn't give up even on Abram and Sarai, that you watched over Hagar. And no matter where we find ourselves in that story, God, I pray that you will heal hearts now in this moment, that you will um, uh, just take those memories and and as we see them in our minds that you'll just write Jesus over those that that for those of us who haven't really thought about this that we'll have the courage to to name what happened to us and to ask you for help to to share our stories uh, as is appropriately with people who know you but right now for every hurting heart for everyone that's been broken I pray that you will replace uh, anxiety and fear and hurt with hope, with comfort. God, hear our hearts in this moment and heal us as only you can. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for spending some time together with us. If, uh, if we can pray for you in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at sgbic.com. And uh, I'm so excited to go through the Easter season with you. And we've got a lot of fun stuff planned, but um, we also do hard stuff together and, and get in. We're, so if, if you need someone to roll up their sleeves and hear your story or whatever it is, we are here for you. That is our honor and our pleasure. So until we're together again, may the God who hears you bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you and fill your heart and heal your heart. And may God give you his peace in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.